Right to Life and Michigan's Life Beat. I'm your host today, Chris Gast. Joining us is Anna Visser and Grace Hemmicke. Hello. Ladies, how are you doing? So great. So great. Mm-hmm. Cold Michigan weekend. It is December. Yes. There's the hope for snow for Christmas. Yeah. You might get <laughs> so, it. So I was like, well, okay, you can hope for that. <laughs> um, well, today we have a feature, so no uh, news. We thought we'd talk about kind of an interesting topic, you know, when you when you think about it, the pro-life movement and the pro-choice movement um, don't really have any one leader. So who's really, who's calling the shots around here? Who's making the decisions? Uh, some people, you know, we're going to talk about some people today. Uh, you could say that there's not really a leader. It's just like this is the issue both sides are pretty set and it's pretty obvious you know what they have to do but uh it's an interesting topic because usually today people are always asking you know who's the money behind this who's making these plans in the background who's doing all this and so let's talk about some of them so before we get to the other side which is more interesting because they have an interesting cast of characters that we can talk about uh, let's talk about the pro-life side. Uh, so, I mean, who 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 gives us the marching orders? I don't I don't think anyone. <laughs> well, Barbara any... Listing at Right to Life of Michigan well, yeah. gives the marching orders. For us, but she does. For the pro-life movement in general, I I wouldn't say there's one single organization or person that does. It's a grassroots movement. Yes, but each organization does its own thing. Like, they have their own focus. So I I don't know. It's interesting because when you look back at the pro-choice side, I would say the same for them. They don't have one single person currently that's telling them what to do. That we know of. That we know of. <laughs> But, I, I mean, yeah, even compared to them, I, there's not really, like, money behind it that is running the pro-life side. I'm, I'm trying to think back in history. Did the, we ever have a leader? I mean, we have famous, not famous, but, like, big activists that are kind of mm-hmm. famous. So I would say we I don't have, they they have any pull in anything that the pro-life movement does. Yeah, I'd say we're pretty grassroots. I mean, that was in Michigan literally how we formed. It was all these local groups banded together and then you have to you have to have a leader. So you you know de facto who's going to be the president and that guy was president for like a year. Um and so it has been very diffuse. I think from the pro-life perspective on our side, I mean, the overall strategy has been so clear, like get rid of Roe versus Wade. Then you have all 50 states. Then you have to build all 50 states till we eventually get to the point where we can pass a constitutional amendment. Um, it's almost like when the strategy is so clear and the, you know, the morality and the direct, it's like it's all very clear. There's almost really no need for one leader, but I mean, that does have its downsides. It is nice if you have a 
you get into the political philosophy here, it's nice to have one leader who's <laughs> really good and makes all the right decisions and can point and direct everyone. Um, I just think they're each organization is so different that that wouldn't work anyway. And you have to consider the pro-life movement isn't doing it. None of its intentions are to gain profit. On the other side, there's a lot of people that gain profit from completing their mission or continuing it. Ours is simply because we care about people. I don't know what profit we would be. Well. Direct profit we would be gaining from that. I I would say that there are many people who like to utilize our issue to burnish for their their own own personal personal gain. So I'd say that is just, you know, that's just human nature 101 and that's always going to exist. The overall movement, their whole goal is to not gain profit. Where I would say the pro-abortion side literally their whole the purpose is to gain profit okay well unless you're like an an activist it's like but i'll disagree some we'll get there um but you, you mentioned history so i think you know national right to life started as a committee of the united states conference uh conference of catholic bishops because at the time, um, you, if you want to look at a f- the the faith beginning of the pro-life movement, the, like a lot of Protestants weren't on board, and they were like, eh, well, you know, abortion isn't really going to be that bad. Um, so it really was National Right to Life was kind of alone. It's not really the case anymore. Now there, there are all these other groups and whatnot. Um, let's talk about them real quick before we kind of move on to the other side, the more interesting part of the conversation. Um, so National Right to Life is still around, and you have all the state right to life groups like we are. Um, you have yeah groups in their niches, like so you have the Susan B. Anthony list, which is about mm-hmm. electing pro-life officials, and you have Americans United for Life, which is about you know writing legislation and whatnot. Um, you have very activist-centered groups like Live Action, which now has its own like news outfit and does educational stuff and parody videos, uh, you know, trying to be the pro-life Babylon Bee. Um, you have other groups, you have like Students for Life of America, which, I mean, they grew out of an organization that's been around for a while. Um, their niche is, you know, college campuses. Um, you know, 40 Days for Life is a new thing and that's really focused on like sidewalk counseling. The pregnancy centers have their, the pregnancy centers actually don't have like one leader too. They have groups like, uh, there's NIFLA and CareNet and um, Heartbeat International. And those are like wide organizations that help set up all these own things. So I would say, yeah, there is no one leader. And even within some of these areas, there's multiple leaders and groups and it has its benefits, different ideas, more resilient but as the, the downside is we're not always unified and you know hey it would have been nice if in montana and michigan and vermont and um kansas that all of the pro-life movement could just pile in and get stuff done like the other side does and yeah we're not so great us. at that we're not so great and we don't have we don't have those resources to um to do that 
Do you ever think about why the pro-life movement doesn't have money? Because we don't have billionaires. But why not? Uh, well, let's transition into the next topic then. Um, so I, I think as maybe you both want to disagree, but when we talk about the other side and who's leading that, um, I don't know necessarily the leadership of making decisions about what they do, but it's really clear that the driver of their activities is giant, big name billionaires that you can that you know that are household names. Um, so Anna, looking at her list that she's written down: Bill Gates, mm-hmm. Warren Buffett, George Soros. Um, of those the three, I think the Rockefellers. Um, so I think you, to go back in history a little bit, so Margaret Sanger was clearly the leader of the population control movement, um, which has included eugenics, now it's abortion, at the time um, birth control, but kind of the, the one thing unifying all of that was population control, that we have to take command of fertility uh, for the benefit of society. And it's sold to people as helping them, you know, do what they want to do. That's why the name of her group was Planned Parenthood. So by a twist of fate, uh, the first billionaire in the history of the world, you know, if you want to go off U.S. dollar, you're both looking at me like, if you go off U.S. dollar figures and that, the first billionaire in the world, the first modern, ultra, super rich, influential person, was, was John D. Rockefeller. And it was his son that um, that met up with ba- Margaret Sanger because he had all this money he wanted to give away, not necessarily a bad impulse. And then this guy that he was you know working with said, oh, hey, I know this gal, Margaret Sanger. He has this, she has this great idea about how to save the world from the teeming, unwashed masses of poor people that are gonna overrun it. And John says, oh, that, wait, what's, his, oh, I don't, is John D. Rockefeller Jr.? It's just John D. Rockefeller Jr., right? I don't I know. So. I think so. Okay, um, I've forgotten. But uh, he's like, oh, Margaret Sanger's great. Let's fund it. And then, so my, my theory has always been that because, you know, he created the Billionaires Club, and early on the club's idea was we got to save the world, and how are we going to do it? Population control. Um so let's talk about there. So the Rockefellers today, there's not really a Rockefeller. Like you had Nelson Rockefeller, um, who was a big name. Like there's not anyone even, I don't know who the head of the family is these days. Um, all those kids had kids and they had kids. And so that fortune gets kind of passed down. But the all the institutions that the Rockefellers were key in setting up are still around today and one of them the population council is until recently was the sole distributor of abortion pills in the United States of America which is now in Michigan the number one abortion method and soon Mm -hmm. to be in the country the number one majority abortion method so the Rockefellers are literally funding um, or providing half of the abortions in the country today which goes of off of Grace's way. point. Yes, Grace, talk what, to us what about Jurassic Park. What did you call them? <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the producer of the abortion pill in America 
up till recently the only producer was Danco Laboratories, mm-hmm. which is funded by Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and all of those the Rockefellers as well. Uh, and they are ridiculously secret. They don't have a street address. Mm-hmm. That that was kind of that was kind of sketchy to me. So yeah, I, I called it their the Rockefellers' little abortion Jurassic Park. It's it's uh the level of confidentiality that they have around it. Like they don't reveal their investors' names. They don't reveal where it is. They don't say how many employees they have. I think I found they have less than 25 is the closest information. I what else they're doing in there. Right. Well, I mean, the, they do they do that because of us. Because right. they know if, they, if, if we had uh, those details, then we would go protest them. And um, That's not the end of the world, though. If we protest outside the building. They're not worried about the protesting pro-choice people. They're worried about the, the one step further extremist, zealot, pro-life people who go and blow up abortion clinics. I mean, they are worried about protests, but yeah, they are they are they are worried about that too. Um, and really, there's no need for them to do that because, you know, people don't ask where their pills come from. Generally, yeah, they just assume and take it on faith that there's been quality control done, and that this medication is safe. Um, and the media is never Maybe going... Maybe they don't care in the moment. Media is never going to look into it. And two, when, when the abortion pill came to the United States, um, you know, President Clinton put it on a fast track through the FDA. We didn't want to research it very much. Like, I mean, the entire goal of the abortion industry is don't pay attention to what's going on. And right. I think the, the fear is part of that. I think at its core, though, it's because abortion is nasty. And it just it can't survive people taking an honest look at it like, oh, this is what this is. Um, so, uh, I mean, we talk more about billionaires, but just like the organizations out there. Um, so Planned Parenthood really, I mean, they were kind of the leader, which is interesting because at one point Planned Parenthood was, you know, they were afraid that the pro-abortion activism would distract people from birth control. They were putting tracks out there saying like, no, no, abortion is not birth control. Abortion's evil and terrible and bad, but that's not birth control. They didn't want people to conflate them. Well, was at the very beginning, right? Yeah. And arguably, Margaret Sanger didn't like abortion, even though... But she didn't... She supported it, but it wasn't like her main focus. It's it's hard to tell because there's the Margaret Sanger that like says things, and then there's the Margaret Sanger like she kind of goes like Donald Trump off off script filtered, <laughs> and you see what she really thinks when she says things like, you know, the most compassionate thing, uh, you know, for a child born in a large family is that the family would kill it, like that sounds like. Abortion. Well, yeah, that's what it does sound like. Even though, so you have to wonder at the time, like abortion was universal, not universally seen as bad, but the culture still saw abortion as bad. And so she didn't want it. She didn't want to go there, you know. But she did support it, probably. Maybe at the end of her life. But beginning. How ironic that her whole organization is. You can find anti-abortion quotes from her. Well, her organization is the sole provider of. 
majority right. of abortions. That's true. Now, there was a debate in the 70s when Planned Parenthood was going to start doing that. Some people in the organization didn't want to go there. Um, and that even, you know, there's a couple of years ago when Planned Parenthood passed their mandate requiring every affiliate has to operate an abortion facility, um, you know, in their affiliate area. One of their affiliates did break off and was like, oh, we don't want to do that. I think it was like in Texas or... Um, I mean, that's kind of similar to the... Is it the WHO organization? or what, uh, the, the World, World Health, Health organization? organization? No, the women's one. Or is that how? Whole women... What? Is it who or how? The one that Betty Ferdinand started. Now. 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 That's what it is. <laughs> Something yeah, like that. So the feminist movement... I don't know if Planned Parenthood could always be considered a feminist organization. That's how they sell themselves today. I mean, they were but very... But not originally. They, they kind of did not... I mean, but you could say Margaret Sanger was a feminist. I don't know. They have a kind of an interesting relationship. But all those other groups... Uh, so you have NARAL, which is still around the National Abortion Rights Action League. They were instrumental in the early movement. They were maybe the, the leader of the early pro-abortion Which movement. Which Betty Friedan was a part of. Yeah, so now is kind of the the premier feminist organization. But not now. But not now. No, not like. Not now, now. <laughs> <laughs> when it first. Who's on first? <laughs> when, when NARAL was a thing, mm-hmm. now was not with them. Oh, really? Yes. It was like majority of the women in now were like feminist abortion is not feminism. Like that's the opposite of what I think feminism is. But Betty Ferdan was in the loop with Bernard Nathanson and he yeah. was like, Hey, you know, you really gotta help us out <laughs> to get the word out and to say that this is feminism. But the organization, the other women in that organization did not want that to be a part of it. Yeah, so the the, big, the origins of feminism in the 1800s, like like Saturday Night Live did a joke about it with Susan B. Anthony, like, Susan B. Anthony a couple of years ago. Like, they really thought abortion was awful and it was just exploiting women. But yeah, there was a shift. So I did not know that. Um, so yeah, it, it, we did see the culture shift I think the leaders of that were not, the leaders of it were the kind of the university types and the lawyers and the doctors and sort of the managerial class that is very connected to these billionaires where all the resources and money come from. Um, The ACLU, you know, (laughs) is now a big abortion supporter. They were the probably more so than Planned Parenthood in Michigan, the leaders of the Proposal 3 effort. Um, they were supposed to be about free speech, man, you know, 100 years ago, but they've changed. Uh, any other organizations? There's a lot of, like, little tiny things. There's, there's a lot of foundations. Like, there's the Packard Foundation. There's the Ford Foundation. You know, all roads lead back to Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and George Soros and that crowd. Um, I always love to point out the University of California, San Francisco is like abortion U. Um, but who funds them, you know, these same people. Mm-hmm. So they have a lot of little side organizations like the pro-life movement and whatnot. But um, 
they all kind of connect back together. I think the only difference is on the ground, there is a split between like you have Planned Parenthood that is like the de facto leader of everything, but you do have all these little independent abortion chains and they don't like Planned Parenthood. To them, Planned Parenthood is, you know, the big box store gonna, you know, crowd out our ma and pa child extermination facility, you know, the whole little small town nostalgia of snuffing out babies for, for cash. Let's talk about that. So you said earlier, um, the mo- the motivation of the other side is money. I mean, the leaders. Abortion, is, abortion is a lot of money now. Yeah, I'm saying like the leaders, current leaders of abortion today, their sole reason for supporting abortion, being involved, is they get money from it. I'm saying the leaders of the pro-life movement, like Mm -hmm. the Abby Johnsons or the live actions or people, the activists, Mm -hmm. like they're not really getting money from, from, I mean, maybe they are from like, that they're famous, but that's not the reason that they're doing it. Right. But they, yeah, but they don't run, I mean, the abortion industry is an industry. They have quotas to make, they have facilities to pay, staff to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, profit margins to reach. What were you going to say, Grace? I <laughs> I, like, I only like think that's something. Tr- okay, so I think that you're right about the money bit. That's probably the main motivation of all of the middle people. The like, middle managers. Right, so Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. and politicians. Right. But I mean, yeah. But I mean, the billionaires don't make. Are you money saying like the billionaires' motivation is population control? Yeah. Once you're a billionaire, you don't really have much. I mean, yeah, money is always an incentive, and power is always an incentive. But you really, you have it, all of it. Yeah. So that is, that is true. You're able but to. But like the Planned Parenthoods and the the NARAL, like, see, they could lose it. Right. They could get their funding yanked. They could get fired, those individual people. Bill Gates will never get They're fired. They're the ones that care about money. Yes. Yeah. Bill Gates. He can dedicate himself giving them the to money. an ideal. Right. Right. I would say many of the independent abortion business leaders like seem to be motivated by money based on interactions that you know people have had with them. Some of them, though, are activists. Some of them... You know, have had abortions or been a part of it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and some of it's both. Like Bernard Nathanson, we mentioned earlier, he became pro-life. He wrote a book called uh, "The Hand of God." It's a very great read. And I mean, he talks about the money, but also the motivation. Like he aborted his own child. Um, and see, I would that say all kind that of gloms together. He was motivated by money. But he's kind of a, he's, if you read the book, I mean, it's not just like I did it for money, you know? Like he had a personal stake in it. Right. And he, I mean, and it takes a toll on them because like if you go to abortion conferences, they have like self-care things. They talk about how like horrible, like, oh, I popped out an eye and there was an eyeball rolling around. And it's like awful, awful stuff that they put up with. And uh, I think, you know, money is a factor, but I think for some of them, like they have to, just to go believe on, in it, they have yeah. to be- or tell themselves that I'm doing it, you know, for a cause. You know, you talk about Bernard Nathanson. He 
I forget, he estimated, like, he did something like 30, 40, 50,000 abortions himself, like, and how much that haunted him and whatnot. Um, yeah. So money, they have so much money. It is, it is such a that, visible part of their movement, and we have so much not money. <laughs> so <laughs> but, maybe let's and, go back to our original question. Who is pulling the strings? Do we think that it's, it is the donors that are like, I want you guys to do this next mm. week? Or do you think they're like, hey, we have this plan, and we think it's great. Will you donate to us? That is a great question. Like, Proposal 3 was not a very well-conceived plan from looking at the legislation. But they still did it anyway. And they're like, we just have $50 million. We're going to out-advertise everyone and confuse everyone. Mm -hmm. And we win. Um, Yeah, I don't know. You know, Bill Gates has talked a lot. Bill Gates' philanthropic strategy is to, like, take every aspect of something he wants to do and then like there's one organization in charge of that so it's very intentional and we crowd out all the others and we don't want them like mission creep and duplicating effort and so he's an extremely intentional guy and it's really hard to believe he's just going to hand over a bunch of cash to people who tell him what they're going to do but the way the other side operates they don't really operate as if they have one leader pulling the strings. Like, they were all kind of shocked that Roe versus Wade got overturned. Like, if there was one person, like, masterminding the whole thing, you think he would have kind of seen that coming a little bit more. Now, they did have prepared and Planned Parenthood has always had a backup plan and whatnot, but you could tell they were really shocked. Um, I don't know. Maybe it goes both ways. Typically in nonprofits, you know, it can go both ways where the nonprofit wants to do this, the donors think that's a terrible idea, so the nonprofit doesn't, uh, or the nonprofit says we got a great idea, and the donor's like, oh yeah, we'll fund that. You know, it's kind of like a, there's kind of a... It's pro- yeah, it's probably both. Back and forth. But it is hard when you have that much money, and, you know, like the pro-life movement, we have, I mean, we have major donors, but we have a bunch of them. You know, the other side is a bunch of donors too, but they have such big names with such pull that mm-hmm. it is hard to imagine them walking into a room and be like, okay, George and Bill right. and Warren, this is you're what gonna, you're going to do. You're going to do what they tell you. This is how we're to do. going to do it. I don't know. What do you think, Grace? Who owns the media? Uh, Rupert Murdoch. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean,. See, the media, too, it, it is almost like you have two just, you know, it is like you just have a ideological goal out there and everyone just kind of knows this is what we have to do. Yeah. And then you have people come along and I have this idea, we're going to do this and that. But I don't think that any one person just like... At, at risk of sounding conspiratorial. No, no, by all means. <laughs> Great. Um, the leader here is, it's a worldview. And it's one that basically all the elites and anybody who gets a little bit of power and really likes it wants. It's the, let's remake humanity in our own image. So Klaus Schwab is. Yeah. That's, <laughs> okay. But that is what population control is, right? 
Let, letting I've, the fit and the ones we want, letting this people reproduce. And to me, that's just what's going on with Bill Gates and how he loves population control and all the other billionaires who really like it. I, that seems to be the, the pull here is that worldview of making mm-hmm. humanity look the way we want it to look. And just a lot of yeah. people subscribe and sold to that. To people as well, this means you get to do whatever you want. Yeah. Even though you don't. What do really they get out of making humanity look the way they want? Kind of the same thing. They're not even going to be that, here to well, like it be see great it. If you could just tell people to do everything and they but listen not, to you, but they're not. They're not going to be problem. here to like see their the product that well, they're. I mean, spent their whole life on or all their money on. Well, What's the point? I just think. When you have that much money, when you have so much money, you don't know how to spend it. You, there is a level of guilt to it, and you feel a burden to do something. And you just want to be remembered. You know, I helped save the world. People are going to look back yeah, and that's true. say, Bill, you know, Warren Buffett helped save the world by, you know, getting rid of most people. whoop de doo I just don't get what he gets out of population control, specifically Bill Gates. Like, what does he get out of that? Kind of the same thing. Yeah. I mean, Elon Musk isn't going to get anything out of colonizing Mars, but he thinks he's saving humanity. Yeah. (laughs) That's why Elon Musk is better. Instead of like, let's put more humans everywhere. Instead of let's get rid of more humans. (laughs) Right. You know, if you're going to be a crazy rich person, eccentric rich person with a plan to save the world, have a positive crazy vision. Don't have a negative terrible yeah. conspiratorial that's what we're gonna take away from that <laughs> okay <laughs> all right well that's all we have for this edition of life beat join us again next week we're gonna do uh i think the last podcast of the year or is that two weeks i think a normal two podcast weeks. next week and then for our last one of the year we'll kind of do a year in review and yes. look back at because uh, it was an eventful year have a wonderful weekend